0: Hello and welcome to the CSJ's Beyond Westminster podcast, where we bring you the real stories from across Britain's forgotten communities. In today's episode, Adele Eastman, senior counsel at Farren and Company's Safeguarding Unit and a board member at the Center for Social Justice, leads our guest in discussion about the prevalence and deeply distressing consequences of child exploitation. Our guests include Andy Carter, the conservative MP for Warrington South and chair of the APPG on school exclusions and alternative provision. Jeremy Dodd, head teacher of the Avenue Center for Education. Jess Edwards, senior policy advisor for the childhood harms at Bernardo's. Junior Smart, OBE, founder of the SOS project at St. Giles Trust. And Beth Prescott, the CSJ's program lead on exclusions and absence. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to emphasize that the topic of child exploitation is deeply troubling and contains discussions of abuse, violence, and exploitation of vulnerable children. While we aim to shed light on this critical issue and discuss how to combat it, we understand that some listeners may find this content distressing and listener discretion is advised. So, on today's important episode, we invite you to go beyond the sensational headlines, beyond the surface of the stories and beyond Westminster.
1: Today, we're going to be discussing the prevalence and nature of child exploitation and its devastating impact. In case anyone in our audience may not already be aware, I should highlight that child exploitation is a wide-ranging issue and can include child sexual exploitation and or child criminal exploitation, which can take place in the context of gang activity and or county lines including in the context of modern slavery and human trafficking. Focusing in on county lines, in a nutshell, this can involve violence, including sexual violence, intimidation, coercion and weapons to ensure compliance of victims. The UK children's charity NSPCC describes county lines as a cross-cutting issue that often overlaps with other forms of abuse and criminal exploitation, and which can lead to serious physical and emotional harm to children. A fundamental point that must be reinforced from the outset is that these are children we are talking about, and, as research shows us, in some cases, young children. For example, the Children's Society has found that 14 to 17-year-olds are the most likely age group to be exploited by criminal gangs, and has uncovered, I quote, alarming evidence of primary school children as young as seven or eight being targeted and exploited. It also reports more recently that children as young as six are being forced to carry and sell drugs far away from their homes, that they're made to skip school, sleep in drug dens, keep secrets from their loved ones and are treated as criminals when they often feel trapped in a hopeless situation. It is critical that we all improve our knowledge and understanding of the risks facing children with respect to exploitation, of what they're seeing and experiencing in this horrific context and what we can all hopefully do to help combat it.
2: A young person being misinformed is just as dangerous as a young person carrying a knife, being involved in county lines or any other criminal activity. Take me for instance, at 14 I was made homeless from no fault of my own. I went from living on the streets and sofa surfing to then being recruited by their local gang on my estate. They gave me a property to live in and in return I had to sell drugs from this property. I then spent many years entrenched in gang life, county lines and subsequently ended up going to prison. But maybe if I was given the correct and relevant information at the time then I could have made better choices and better decisions and spotted the signs of being groomed and this local gang using my vulnerabilities to their advantages.
1: I spoke to Jeremy Dodd, who has a wealth of experience in education spanning two decades, most recently as the head teacher of the Avenue Centre for Education, the pupil referral unit serving Luton. Child exploitation, what can you tell us about it from your experience? So starting with what are you seeing in your school and or across your local community and network?
2: Our prime experience here is around criminal exploitation, uh, street gangs, organised criminal gangs, um, and then the corresponding elements of sexual exploitation as well. Again, it depends on the level of which we're involved in. Usually we're looking at mid-teens to early 20s, which obviously corresponds with the early part of that, corresponds with our our cohort of young people. Um, But we have seen people as young as 10 being involved in this activity. All children are potentially vulnerable. That's the safest starting point. Um, Beyond that. Um, where you have community breakdown, family breakdown, poverty, um, where there's already elements of crime in the community. All of these things lead to increased risk factors.
1: I also spoke to Jess Edwards, Senior Policy Advisor for Childhood Harms from Barnardo's, who's authored over the summer two reports on child exploitation, a hidden crisis and invisible children. Jess was able to provide an invaluable understanding of Barnardo's work in this area and the issues the charity is seeing across the UK as well as her insight on these and potential solutions from a policy perspective.
3: So I think importantly both child sexual exploitation and criminal exploitation are forms of child abuse and it's important that we see it in that light. Child sexual exploitation is a form of sexual abuse uh, and typically occurs outside of the family It's defined as occurring when an individual or group takes advantage of an imbalance of power to coerce a child into sexual activity. And the victim may have received um, kind of payment for this, Uh, it may appear consensual, and it also may take place online. Um, Child sexual exploitation is defined in the Sexual Offences Act, um, and that has allowed us to increase our understanding of CSC amongst uh, police and also other professionals. Child criminal exploitation uh, is when a child under the age of 18 is encouraged, coerced uh, and exploited to take part in criminal activity. This can take many forms. Uh, The most commonly known about is county lines, uh, where children are coerced to carry drugs uh, and weapons from one area to another. Um, But it can also include stealing to order, shoplifting, uh, including perfumes, alcohol or cars, uh, cannabis cultivation and forced begging. Um, Child criminal exploitation is often unrecognised and, again, can kind of include some online elements, too. I mean, across the UK, we have been concerned about, particularly within recent years, um, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on child exploitation uh, and then also recently the cost of living crisis. Um, We're seeing children from different backgrounds, kind of a a diverse range of um, communities, backgrounds all kind of who are vulnerable to um, exploitation um, and this can take many forms as I've said and, and the other thing is that child sexual exploitation and criminal exploitation can often overlap um, so a child can be victim of both um, and they can be uh, a child for example could be trapped in a criminal exploitation having elements of sexual exploitation or a child could be being sexually exploited but as part of that they could be expected to carry drugs uh, or or something similar or conceal a weapon. Um, So we do know that they're very overlapped. With regards to the cost of living crisis, what we have been seeing is an increase in kind of smaller debts um, being used to trap children in criminal exploitation um, and sexual exploitation. So this is where um, a criminal gang um, or an individual exploiter would kind of offer the child something which is then used against them and and they're required to pay it back, uh, trapping them in that cycle of exploitation. So some examples from our services um, include children who have been offered a subway sandwich, a vape, an energy drink as that kind of entry into exploitation. And these amounts are getting smaller and smaller um, as children become more desperate. We've also seen um, a lot of, well, since the COVID-19 pandemic, really, an increase in online exploitation and online methods being used to um, groom children, but also keep them trapped in exploitation. So again, with regards to the cost of living crisis, we've seen uh, children who are coming across fake looking job adverts online, um, you know, that they're wanting to support their family, wanting to kind of step up and offer that support um, to the household income but they are instead being exploited um, by organized criminal gangs who are posing with these fake job adverts Um, and then these children are coerced into really awful things so you know the sort of drug trafficking um, weapon carrying concealment of weapons and and a lot of them can see really horrific uh, things um, in places like trap houses and, and be required to you know, um, be violent towards other people too.
1: Um,
3: So really what what we're seeing is the situation getting worse for a lot of children and young people, um, and it's coming in a lot of different forms. So we're seeing, as I said, this online exploitation, also offline. And so just to give you an example, one of our um, Bernardo services in Wales that support children who've been exploited uh, told us of a leisure centre um, in one of their areas which has... um, air vents that kind of push out hot air and in the winter that's where all of the young people go to hang out because it's kind of the only warm place that they've got um, to socialize with their friends and since children are congregating there and um, there's been kind of adults um, you know offering them lifts offering mcdonalds kind of quite concerning um, activity that could suggest exploitation taking place being reported in that area and that just really shows that kind of desperation that children have of not having access to places like youth centres, youth clubs, affordable holiday um, activities as well.
1: I also spoke to Junior Smart OBE at the charity St Giles Trust. Junior is founder of the award-winning SOS Gangs Project, London's largest ex-offender gangs exit programme. Junior contributed to an education select committee evidence session on child criminal exploitation over the summer. And given his and the charity's vital work on the front line in this area, Junior was able to share critical insight and expertise on the issues the charity's seeing and shine a powerful light on the reality of what many children and young people are witnessing and or experiencing.
4: A person can become uh, criminally exploited um, literally to become part of a group or an organisation's workforce in their involvement in illicit criminal activity but also in terms of of their their products and and the stuff that they're involved in and that means that what we're seeing from St Giles Trust exper- experiences is the use of young people and vulnerable adults being used in a multitude of different ways and um, and and if not them then their households, and if not their households, then their bank accounts. It, it's it, it's a it's a really negative, interconnected issue, and even speaking about it now, my words don't do it justice because their reality is once you're involved and once you're a part of that, their reality is is such a negative spiral of violence. Um, of 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 contact with the criminal justice system, but also that of isolation. Um, that when we're working with these these individuals that are involved, they are shut off because they it's, it's not a crime. Once you're criminalised, once you're involved in this stuff, to to talk about it would incriminate yourself. So they they can't talk to the police. They can't talk to their to, to their to their families, um, and so they often these are and these are young and vulnerable people they are they are isolated and and they're in this they're trapped realistically from our side of it the youngest person we've worked with that we have on our books is 8 years of age that said um when we were engaging with this individual you know when we were asking ourselves sort of like when was the earliest point we could have put in an intervention the reality is we could have we could have put in an intervention before this this young person was even born and um, because it's an intergenerational trap he's he's the product of 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 a situation of a family um and i wouldn't use the words dysfunctional because actually we, we're seeing we've you know we're seeing people becoming involved in this from affluent families from dual heritage families from families where they're both both pre- both parents are present and both parents are working. You know, I was working with a, a young kid very recently. He has, um, you know, he has he has pocket money like most of us have wages. um, And I was actually sort of like, well, how, so, you know, if, you know, with my lived experience, if he'd even been sort of like, if he part, if he's that sort of like, if there was a need there to make money, I'd at least be able to understand it. But the reality was, is that you know he has both he's got both parents work, but the reality is, is that um, you know, these these groups are very are very are very coordinated, are very careful, are very targeted in their approach. And they got to him through an online, through online platforms. And the reality is these groups are just what they do and how they target people and how they groom people based upon whatever it is is missing from that person's life. So he's got a dual parent household, he's got he's got money. Great. They can target him, they can trap him. What's he got what's he probably not likely to have? Um that sense of camaraderie um level of respect. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, being kind of like criminal is in this day and age is seen as kind of like attractive. It carries a level of swagger, a, a level of appeal. Um, and also they gave him this massive sense of belonging, of purpose. Um, and they were able to really draw him into some very serious stuff. And also they knew, you know, they targeted him based upon the fact that he's he has money, that he's got an affluent background because, you know, he's got therefore the means to pay them off. Um, when they when they trapped him and of course they did you know debt bondage is a very very real thing like it's a way it's a method of of trapping and ensnaring young people and we've seen it happen not just through finances but through through, food through things like food through things like clothing through things like actually um you know in one borough the kids were consistently being targeted for for robberies after school, um. You know, on well, one week and then the following week, there's a group there, like saying like, "No, these are our kids. We're protecting them." And then next thing you know, the group saying to the kids, "No, you owe us. Um, you 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 now you now owe us with your loyalty, with your silent." And that was that was almost an entire classroom felt like they they had to respond to what this group was saying this was in a highly well respected area you know going in speaking to the schools the headmasters um the teachers none of them thought their kids would be involved and of course it all happened outside of school so it was out away from the the sight of of the teachers
3: bottom line is that all children are at risk but we do see some um groups of children who can be um, more vulnerable because of some unmet needs that they have uh, so for example this can in- ch- include children in care um, particularly as they are kind of moved around and don't have access to those sort of social networks and family networks and um, to offer them support um, so they can be um, vulnerable also includes children who have been excluded from school um, and again that's kind of children who are not able to have access to a trusted adult they're out of school more they have more time on their hands and that can be um exploited by organized criminal gangs uh, we do also know for children excluded from schools sometimes their exclusion can be orchestrated uh, by their exploiter and um, so for example they could coerce them into behaving a certain way in school to try to get them excluded um so that they are able to you know spend more time with them to to exploit them further so that they're um more free to do that and away from uh, kind of safeguarding uh, professionals like teachers. Uh, so that's one issue. And the other really kind of critical group of children is um, unaccompanied asylum seeker children. Um, we have seen, and there's been quite a few reports recently of children going missing and um, from hotels, for example. Uh, and again, they're quite vulnerable to exploitation because they don't have those support um, networks. They're not always known or in school um, and, and so that can make them uh, more vulnerable as well.
4: So we know that over the last five years especially you know there's been this massive explosion in terms of technology more and more young people are, are spending more time online Um, on average the average young person spends 87% of their time with their peers and so we, we see this um, people getting involved through peer association, peer—you know—it's becoming—it's become less about these gangs and more about peer associates, and yeah, people are becoming drawn in, and this is especially true as well for for females, where we see girls and their involvement within the CCE space, the child criminal exploitation space, being more dictated because of their associate because of their associations because of their relationships and it's a real serious thing because within within these groups we're talking about hyper we're talking about groups that operate with hyper traits you know these are spaces where women are objectified these are spaces where um currency the currency the normality yeah, the the how women are treated are got a completely different, um, and in fact, they're more attuned to the more negative aspects of our society. And that's before we take into account the stuff that's been proliferated through social media over the last number of years. There's been many, um, you know, should we say it, negative activists within the space that aren't promoting the right sort of language around women and how they're treated and. They're promoting they're promoting this um male entitled privilege and 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 distorted ideas of masculinity and then they're, they're making it even worse for young people to Define what's what's right and wrong and and what is healthy relationships and what isn't and so yeah when we see young young girls getting caught up within this space I know there's this narrative that these these are females that have got have got agency and they're actively being the part. But I have yet to see, for example, a county iron being operated by a young girl or a young woman. So we know for a fact when they're in that space, they are commoditized or they are used um, and they take up certain roles such as carrying the drugs, carrying the weapons. Perhaps they'll be drivers for their boyfriends. Perhaps they'll be used. To provide alibis, or they'll be used to provide storage for certain for certain things, um, and they may even be used to carry the drugs internally. And this is all to do with evading police detection and to dissuade police authorities um, from from stepping in. However, as we've seen, through for example, the customs report, you know stuff that the females are, to- are often told which is that you know you're not likely to get stopped you're not likely to get searched you're not likely to get sent down we know that that's a lie females are more likely to be sent down first first time um in front of the judge than their male counterparts and they're likely to get longer and equally um the criminal record is more likely to have a more damaging effect on on that on that female's life destabilising effect on the home, a a negative effect on the children and and equally a negative effect on the family unit as a whole.
1: I also spoke to Andy Carter MP, the Conservative Member of Parliament for the Warrington South constituency. Andy serves as the chair for the all-party parliamentary group, which I'll call APPG for short, on school exclusions and alternative provision, where he works on addressing issues related to school exclusions and finding alternative solutions to supporting students' educational journeys. Andy was able to share an invaluable perspective on the issue of school exclusion and absence from education, and in the context of child exploitation.
5: You know, we've got... Um, many, many reasons why why children are in in, in those sorts of environments. Um, the principal, I mean, there are about 135,000 children currently in AP. The principal reason is because of behavioural issues. And there are many reasons why we have behavioural issues with, with children. Um, but there is a bit of a common theme around uh, children that are from families which are um, broken, um, broken homes in particular, uh, causes some of those issues. Um, and we've we've seen post-pandemic uh, a bit of a surge in terms of AP referrals. Uh, and I think, you know, that linked in with the sort of persistence absence issue is something that we've got to spend much more time looking at and thinking through.
3: When children are not in school, don't have that routine, don't have kind of the eyes on them of teachers and other professionals in schools, they can be more um, vulnerable to exploitation. Um, they're out of the... Kind of reach of professionals, um, they don't have that routine, that structure, um, and it can mean that children are more at risk um, of being exploited. Um, we have, in, in our research, our report, um, Invisible Children, we conducted some FOI requests to look at the um, the kind of how the police um, record child sexual exploitation offences um, every month to try to recognise the trends to see if, you know, the recordings um, go up or down in in certain months. And what we did find from that FOI research was that in summer holidays or or school holidays uh, that are longer than two weeks, um, so Easter, summer, Christmas holidays, the recorded offences goes down. And, you know, we know that exploitation is happening when children are out of school. Just because they're out of school, it doesn't mean it stops. But what that does really show is that when children are out of reach of professionals and and not being seen by teachers, they are not going noticed by services, uh, including the police. And so they're invisible um, to statutory services, which means that they're, you know, their exploitation is going longer. um, They're getting trapped in these cycles of abuse and they're not being identified or supported. Um, And That's kind of looking at school holidays. If we think about that for children who are out of school, um, that that picture is going to be just the same and and worse for them.
1: All children who are excluded from school won't, of course, necessarily get drawn into criminal exploitation, but there is a link. I spoke with Beth Prescott, programme lead for exclusions and absence at the CSJ, to gain her views on the position regarding exclusions and absence from education drawing on the wealth of research conducted by the CSJ and evidence obtained, and to hear what key concerns the
6: CSJ has and recommendations it's making in this area. In terms of absence, we have seen really concerning absence levels since the pandemic. In spring 2023, the most recent term we have data for, severe absence returned to record highs, with 140,000 children missing 50% or more of their school time. This means the number of children who are absent from school more than they are present has more than doubled since pre-pandemic. In spring 2023, there were also nearly 1.5 million children who were persistently absent, equating to one in five children. While ministers have begun to get a grip of persistent absence with numbers starting to decrease, with severe absence having returned to record highs The danger is that severe absence, some of our most vulnerable children, is becoming entrenched with severe social and economical consequences for years to come. In terms of exclusions, we have seen record levels of suspensions in England in the 2021-22 academic year. And while permanent exclusions are not yet back to pre-pandemic levels, they are continuing to rise since the pandemic. So what we heard in our severe absence inquiry was that the typical view of truancy, um, being out on the streets, um, out on the buses, out in the town centres, is is not quite the same anymore. What we're actually seeing is because of this increase in anxiety, in mental health and the impact of the pandemic, these children are largely at home and they're largely in their rooms, just too anxious to even leave the house, let alone go to school and, and engage in their education. But what we also heard in our inquiry was that doesn't mean they're not still susceptible to being vulnerable, to being groomed and exploited, particularly with what we are hearing in terms of uh, gangs and criminals using online uh, and, and social media to recruit and exploit children. So it's really important to consider that even though these children might not be out and about in the streets in the perhaps the stereotypical sense that we consider truancy, they are still extremely vulnerable. And what we've heard in these conversations is that exclusion from school or other absence from school has been consistently highlighted as both a risk factor for exploitation and an indicator that a young person might be being exploited for crime. We've heard how exclusion from school or, you know, examples of where children perhaps only on a part-time timetable, they might only be in school for a few hours a week, can create hours and hours where these children can be targeted by gangs and where they are vulnerable. We've also heard about the risk that people referral units can become places where young people are recruited into exploitation, even by fellow students, or perhaps get deeper and deeper into exploitation. Um, we've seen some press articles um, at the end of
1: last year, burgers and coats, county lines, gangs, exploit, hardship to recruit UK kids. Head teachers report that drug groups are using the cost of living crisis to groom cold and hungry pupils. Um, and one of the representatives from a charity, Diversify, based in Rotherham, reportedly stated that many schools have cut back on the number of staff on playground duty at lunchtime due to financial pressures so gangs can approach young people then, and that her charity has photos of gang members passing packages through school fences during lunch break. Then earlier this year, The Guardian published an article on professional adverts for county lines ensnaring children on Instagram and Snapchat. And it uh, referred to the Parliamentary Education Committee hearing about drug traffickers frequently changing their methods to groom and recruit children as young as seven. And a representative from the charity Catch-22 reportedly stated that social media platforms need to take more responsibility. Adverts on Instagram and Snapchat for young people to get involved in county lines look professionally done. And since COVID, families are struggling. And with really professional advertising, young people think they're going to help out their families. And then he also reportedly gave evidence about children being reeled in through online gaming platforms. Vulnerability changing all the time. We're seeing much younger children and the modus operandi of traffickers is changing. They're targeting more affluent children. Every child can be exploited criminally. Online
2: is another significant concern for us because obviously it's very, very hard to monitor, although we have a lot of training and actually we go out and train other schools in the local authority. the, the, so distanced from you that being impactful online is very, very difficult. So we have to educate young people while they're with us.
4: On a very realistic level, because I've been there myself and and I've, I've 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 recruited I've recruited young people myself. The reality is is that I'm gonna set myself up or they will set themselves up to be your best friends. Nothing illegal or illegitimate will happen initially. Because at the end of the day, you know, like all good groomers and like all people that, for example, perpetrate violence against their partners or abuse, you don't show your, your your cards on the opening gambit. that just turns people away. The reality is by the time people we got to a stage where people were doing things for me, you know, I'd be their best friend. You know when a young person is recruited, they'll be sent to a, to an area that they don't know anyone um and i don't know if anyone's ever had to ever you know i don't know watched an entire series on netflix or one of those channels on a box set but you know what it's like if you go for a couple of days without sleep you end up very very wired young people have told us it's very similar to that with the exception of it's a hyper vigilant state because you can't go to sleep if you go to sleep you could get attacked you're not necessarily worried about the police, although there is that criminal, there is that criminalization aspect. You're worried about other groups, you're worried about the people around you, you're worried about the people you're selling drugs to, the people that you deem as your friends, they they suddenly turn because obviously they haven't had good role models or, you know, around them. So we've had reports of young people that have gone missing, you know, left their the warm family home. Imagine that kid I was telling you about with Yeah, the dog that just likes to lick everyone, you know, he's got this, he's left a warm family house, big food on the table. And he's now in a nasty space full of addicts, bloodborne viruses. He can't sleep. He's getting beaten up by the person he thought was his best friend. And he's consistently having to plug drugs within his anal passage and retrieve them. And there's consequences if he doesn't do it. You know, you just can't walk away. This is going to be very, very serious. And so he was saying it's like hypervigilance. And he came back with bruises. He came back with scars. This is very, very serious. Um, So there is a massive knock-on effect in terms of the mental health and the impact that that has for females that we've worked with. And sadly, I've worked with a couple of these uh, across the team. We've certainly worked with hundreds. They're exposed to degrading experience, um, sexual experiences. Um, quite quite often there's sexual abuse taking place, rape, uh, the girls are often drugged, um, sexual acts are recorded, and then this is used as a further method of power and control. So you know, if you, you did this already, if you don't do this again, then we're going to post this on social media. And I'll be real with you, and um, because I've tried, to, I've tried to have stuff taken down before on behalf of a number of the female clients I've supported. And I have to say to you, it is ridiculously difficult. And um, these social media companies have got a lot to answer for. Yet none of them would say their platforms are being used to promote such activity, I can honestly tell you that every single one of them has been, um, they've got so much to answer for, um, and they're complicit in this, they're complicit in allowing this level of control to take place.
3: Child exploitation is child abuse, Um, the sorts of things that children can be subject to, can be made to do, can witness, um, is really traumatic, and it can you know, these children do need that sort of support, um, therapeutic support, mental health support to really um, help them through and help them recover um, from this. Um, The sorts of things that we have heard uh, children see is, you know, be trapped in uh, sort of trap houses and and trap houses are kind of places where a a criminal gang would um, kind of house their drugs and their weapons and that sort of thing. Um, be, you know, the sorts of things that they're seeing, the sorts of weapons and violence that they're seeing and witnessing and even being exploited to do themselves is really horrific. Um, we had uh, a, a boy who we supported um who was exploited from a young age and he actually grew up in a home where drug dealing took place. Uh, so he grew up um, in a trap house and he said to us that trap is exactly the right word for it because that's the reality you're trapped into a never ending cycle when people say this lifestyle can be horrific it really is you end up trusting no one and never truly feel safe with child criminal exploitation um quite unbelievably there isn't a statutory definition of what this is and whilst you know statutory definitions can sound quite boring um they really do have such an impact for children and young people who are victims of of criminal exploitation. Um, So just to kind of run you through what the impacts of not having a statutory definition are. So we know that not having this definition means that services, including the police, including statutory services, can really struggle to identify child victims of exploitation. Um, We know that many children are first identified as victims when they are either arrested by the police for the kind of criminal activity that they've been coerced into doing, um, or when they present in A&E for injuries that they've sustained as a result of their exploitation. You know, it's really missing that sort of early um, intervention point. A lot of it is when that harm has already happened and has been happening for some time.
1: The Department for Education states and its statutory guidance for schools and colleges called keeping children safe in education, that children can be targeted and recruited into county lines in a number of locations, including any type of schools, including special schools, further and higher educational institutions, pupil referral units, children's homes and care homes. What do you think that the education sector can do? to help minimise the risk of children being targeted and recruited into county lines?
5: I think the first thing is being aware of the situation, watching for some of the uh, telltale signs, particularly children that are persistently absent, um, bringing in parents very, very quickly. Uh, I think, you know, the, um, the child that suddenly comes in with new trainers, um, that mum and dad didn't buy for them, uh, you know, those sorts of questions, uh, asking questions at that point, uh, I think is incredibly valuable. And, uh, you know, teachers uh, have a role to play here, but it is, you know, also parents spotting these these issues and, and looking at, at what's going on. Um, I, I think, um, you know, the the real benefit that we've seen in, in areas that have tackled this uh, head on is when, uh, people have come together when social services have come together, uh, when when parents have come together, when schools have come together, and, and criminal justice. And I, I, you know, I said that earlier. This isn't a one um, as a solution for the education sector. It's it doesn't work like that. You've got to have everybody involved uh, tackling this uh, as early as possible.
1: If you could ask the government to do one thing to help reduce children's risk to exclusion and absence from education, and to support the education sector and are the relevant agencies to support them and to address the root causes, what would it be?
5: It's always really difficult to put your finger on one thing, because as, as I've said all the way through this, you know there are a number of partners that have got to come together to make things work. I think probably this, this sounds like a bit of a sort of um, a techie thing, but actually getting the funding right for AP, for me, is really, really important. Having the resource there, professionals that are able to tackle uh, issues that uh, you know mean that young people are excluded Um, if we get that right if we get the funding right on AP that will make a massive difference Um, and it isn't necessarily lots more money going into AP it's the certainty of funding um, because of the system and the way that it, it currently works that that it is stacked against AP uh, and and that for me is something that's that's really important. Um, I, I come back again though to sort of recognising that alternative provision isn't necessarily always about um, uh, you know a, a formal um, school. It, it could be a, a sports environment. It could be a farming environment or a horticultural environment. You know, finding the right space, the right place uh, for for people to engage young uh, young people is is for me really important as well.
4: I'd say be radical, be radical about the approach. Um, we need, you know, what what I thought was really good about the Glasgow public health model, it, I think it was like a man, it was mandated. So it didn't matter who was in power, like that money was ring fenced. Now there's been, done, they've done some terrific stuff already. The Youth Endowment Fund has, you know, already, it's early days where their evidence base is incredibly strong, you know, The the amount of money that's gone into frontline organisations making a difference has been huge. There's no question, like, hundreds of thousands of lives, you know, are going to be impacted in a positive way. But we need more of it. We need more at the prevention level. And the Youth Endowment Fund is purely focused on youth fighting ending youth violence. We need more around the um, CCE, Child Criminal Exploitation. And, you know, um, there's been some great models as well. Look at the rescue and response, which is to do with county lines. Why has that not been replicated across the UK? So I think, yeah, we need radical measures in terms of that and a steadfast approach so that no, matters, no matter who's in charge, that the money is ring-fenced and and kept and utilised for its purpose.
3: You know, I've I've been talking about this a while. I really think it is that statutory definition of child criminal exploitation. It can do so much with it. It it's kind of almost the root cause of um a lot of the other problems that we're facing. Um, if we had this understanding, we would understand the scale. We would be able to identify and support children sooner. We would be able to use the kind of big picture that we've got to really invest in services and invest in those preventative services to make sure that less children are being exploited and that when they are, they are able to access support services. Um, It's just such a crucial point.
2: The quicker you get to something, the more chance you have of having an impact. You've got to have the right things when you get there, but you've got to be there early. Uh, And so for me, it would be support for families with young children so that we are with them as a society where they might be excluded in the more general term, not just from school, but actually, perhaps, I don't like the phrase on the edge of society, but those those families that are not held closely in the center with us. Um, if we could have programs in place for them when they're young, so the, the young children have exposure to positive forces in society and their communities, the families can engage with them,
6: In terms of absence, the CSJ are calling for a nationwide army of 2,000 attendance mentors. These attendance mentors will work with schools across the local authority area to truly understand the barriers as to why a child is struggling to fully engage with their education. They'll work with the schools, with parents, with the children and with other agencies to really build an understanding and a support network around that child that allows them to get back into school and thrive in their education. Currently, the Department for Education is doing a pilot, but this is only in five local authority areas. And we have estimated that at most, over the course of the three-year pilot, it will reach 1% of severely absent children at most. And to us, simply, that is not good enough. We need to be reaching these kids now and getting them back into school now, or else risk creating a lost generation of children. And in terms of exclusions, We want to see a more focus on inclusion in schools around, again, similar to the absence around making sure that every single child's needs is being met. They are supported to fully engage in their education and that if it is deemed that for a child it would be appropriate for them to spend a period of time in alternative provision, that that provision is high quality and is meeting their needs and is appropriate for that child. This is the first part of a two-part mini series delving into criminal exploitation. These podcasts accompany the CSJ's soon-to-be-released report on the nature and extent of modern slavery and the necessity for stronger prevention techniques. In the second part of this series, we delve into the CSJ's recommendations for what needs to be done to protect more people from becoming victims.
4: For those listeners that are worried about their children, and believe it or not, everywhere I go, there's always people that are worried about their child or a child that they know. Here's what I'm going to say. Do not give up. Do not lose hope. Go and find that help and support. It is out there. From what research
1: tells us, and having heard from a number of experts today, it is clear that far, far more needs to be done and as a matter of urgency to help combat the risks and suffering that so many children are facing with
0: respect to child exploitation. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our channel for more interesting content like this and follow us on Twitter at CSJThinkTank for more updates.